the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. accept and embrace the cross, what we're saying is our human wisdom is never enough. Our human power is never enough, but our God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, and that's always enough. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So then Paul has set the stage, and after doing that, he says, now look at yourself. So I say that to you. Just, Just think about the preacher speaking to the church. Now, he's doing this in a letter to them, but he says... So where's the one that's wise? I've heard what you're saying. Yeah, that that cross stuff, that's old. That's foolish. That doesn't make any sense. All right. Stand up. Testify, you who are wise. Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? Who wants to debate about this? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, please don't miss this. Paul's saying, God stood before you in the flesh and you were blinded. You did not see him. Your wisdom was not enough. It pleased God through the folly of what is preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. And to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's saying the cross was rejected by everybody. He said, whether you're Jew or Greek, and you know who he's talking about when he said Jews and Greeks? Say everybody, because that's all that was in the world, Jews and Greeks. Saying, so wherever you are, you, you've rejected the cross. Some of you looked at it, the Gentiles, the Greeks, they looked at it and said, well, that's just foolish. That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do something that doesn't make sense? And, and that's where some of you are. You're, you're trying to figure it out. And you say, boy, if only I understood better. If only I could just uh, make it all come together, fit the pieces of the puzzle. If it just made logical sense in my mind, then I would follow Christ. And 
but right now it's foolishness. And then he said, some of you Jews, and you had Jesus before you, and you just, you want another sign. You're always wanting another sign. It's always about what you can experience. And some of you are there. God would just write it on the wall. I'd do it. He wrote it in the book. He's written it into your heart. He speaks into your life. Paul was saying that the cross is true wisdom because it causes us to acknowledge the human limitations of our intellect and our power. And we humble ourselves before an all-knowing and almighty God. When I look at the cross, I have to recognize this is not how I would have done it. Would you? You're God in heaven. I mean, God forbid, but you're God for a day. You recognize your world's messed up. You want to do something? What am I going to do? Well, I think I'll send a a little baby. Jesus, go as a baby. Um, You're going to be born as a peasant refugee. You have no place to lay your head. Nobody's going to respect you from birth. And after just over 30 years, you're going to die on a cross in capital punishment. Most of the world's going to look at you as a criminal, outcast, undeserving. Yeah, that makes sense. No, when when we accept and embrace the cross, what we're saying is our human wisdom is never enough. Our human power is never enough, but our God is all-knowing and he's all-powerful and that's always enough. So we challenge the church to then think about where they'd come from. For consider your calling, brothers. Now that's a general calling. It's a calling in scripture. In Revelation, it sounds this way. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Jesus put it this way in Matthew. Come, you who are weary. God's word says, whosoever will can come. Aren't you grateful for the whosoever wills of scripture? You know who that includes? You, me, everybody. He says, you've got the calling. You've answered the calling. When I was growing up and we were seven years old, we moved out in the country. And so out in the country, we had a little land and I'd play out in the woods and my dad built a tree house. And occasionally I'd go up in a tree house and it'd be late in the afternoon. And my mom would just open the back door. She wouldn't even stick her body out, just her head. And she'd yell, Paul Stephen, it's time for supper. Come on. And I'd come. I'd have some. Fried chicken, some fried okra, some homemade biscuits, some sweet tea. Because I answered the call. So Paul's now speaking to those who've answered the call of God. So those who are Christ's followers. So I'm not talking to those of you who are perishing. I'm talking to those of you who are being sanctified. Consider your calling, brothers. Think about where you came from. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that's still true today? Why would Jesus say it's very, very difficult for a rich man to come to God? You see, we get to these places where we don't think we need God. 
We, we don't know how much we need God. That's why, regardless, though you don't hear this on the news, you know where the church of Jesus is exploding? In the nation of Iran. Because when the gospel is uncovered there, a Christ follower says, oh my God, this changes everything. That's why for the last two decades, it's exploded in China. And that's why in the United States of God blessed America, the church is closing doors every year. Because with all our wealth and with all our power and with all that we have, we don't recognize how much we need him. So throughout history, God has chosen few who are wealthy and of noble birth. And But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even though even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So isn't it interesting? The gospel is received often by those who don't have much because you realize this simple truth. God, I'm, I'm nothing without you. And then God gives you everything you need. Do you see those four things at the end? He gives you wisdom, though you were not wise. He gives you righteousness, though you were lowly. He begins to sanctify you in his image, and he pays for your sins. He gives you redemption. Everything we are not, God is for us in Jesus Christ. So you know what this passage really reminds me? It's a central gospel truth. The ground really is level at the foot of the cross. Whether you were of noble birth or, or born a pauper, whether you were rich or poor, whether you're wise or you have very little intellect, you come to Jesus the same way. Hey, church, that's why it's essential for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ to make sure we see people the way God sees people. This has to affect the way we look at everybody. If we begin to think of ourselves as better than other people because of where we were born or the color of our skin or the amount of our bank account, or the house we live in, or the car we drive, or any other factor but the cross, then we've weakened the truth of the gospel and we've cheapened Christ's death on the cross. And we can do that even in the church. Can I just tell you some of the enemies of the cross real quickly? Kind of a side thought here. You know, theology is our study of the knowledge of God. So even inside the body, we can 
the doing good things, but them leading us down wrong paths. So let me just give you some examples. Experiential theology can be an enemy of the cross. Because experiential theology says that what I feel is what matters. So if I have an experience or a feeling, then man, God was there today. And so in a day in church, when you think, man, I, I felt something or my skin, I had bumps, on, Holy Ghost bumps on my skin or boy, I got a lump in my throat. I had a feeling, then God was there today. Well, are you saying he wasn't there when you didn't have that feeling? Experiential theology at its core is making it about you and, and taking it away from the cross. Let me tell you another enemy of the cross. Systematic theology can be an enemy of the cross. Systematic theology is something that's helpful. I mean, it's where we take all that we know about God and, and try to piece it together and, and make it into a system. But the problem is you can't fully put God in a box. So if you're not careful, your system becomes your God. And so you're moving away from the simple truth of the gospel to hold on to what you feel are the truths of your system. That's a whole long discussion, but for some of you, you may think about that for a minute. Here's a big one in the church today. Moralistic theology is an enemy of the cross. Moralistic theology is just old fundamentalism, legalism. I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do so. I'm okay. And so it says, if I go to church enough, if I give in the offering plate enough, if I do these right things and I don't do these sins, at least the ones that people are pointing out. And so really it's a moralistic deism. It's a believing in God, but you're thinking your worth to God is based on what you do rather than simply what he did on the cross. The other side of that, liberal theology is an enemy of the cross. Liberal theology says God's grace covers everything, so I don't have to worry about anything. It's called licentiousness. I can take license in my life. I have a license and liberty to do anything I want to do, and I'm just going to appeal to God's grace and his forgiveness. Well, that's an enemy of the cross. Do you really think Jesus died on the cross just so that you could live any way you want to live? That's cheapening of the cross. And in our society today, we need to remember even a social theology, social gospel can be an enemy of the cross. I had one of my friends, well-intentioned this week with all the hoopla that's been going on in our society. He said, Christians, we need to remember that the message of the gospel is all about refugees. No, it's not. It's about sinners who need a savior like you and me. And so understand, yeah, if, if I've got a right relationship with God and I'm living responsibly for him and I'm representing him well, then I care about the least of these in society. But I never want anything to get in the way of the simplicity of the cross. And that's how churches divide. That's how the church of God loses its power is because we get so sidetracked on chasing our thoughts and we move away from the cross. And Paul was saying back then, and this Paul is saying today, church, it's still the cross. It's simple. It doesn't make sense. But there's power in the cross. Like the Imperials, that old 
Christian group used to sing, it's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics or power or prestige. It's a simple message, and whether we believe we can water down theology and preach a word to suit our needs, we can justify sweet, subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds, we can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel or the truth contained within. It's still the cross. It's the cross of Calvary. It's still the blood. It's the blood of cleanses me and it sets the captives free. It's still the name, the name of Jesus that has the power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Now, why would God choose that? Think about it. He tells us. Paul ends the verses I just read by telling us why so that we don't have anything to boast in but Jesus. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. You see, you are God's masterpiece, but a masterpiece should always point praise to the master. And the only way you can do that is when you know it ain't about you. The only way you can do that when you say, oh, but for the grace of God. The only way you can do that is when you say, oh, anything good in me came from Jesus because I know my heart. So then Paul gives a personal testimony and we'll wrap up with this. Chapter 2, remember these chapter divisions, we put those in later, and Paul's just writing this letter, and he says, And when I came to you, brothers, did did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message, they were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that... Your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is your faith resting in? Could Paul have boasted? (laughs) Yeah. This man who converted on the Damascus road, he did come from noble birth. Fact is, he was from the the best tribe. He was from the right side of the tracks. Isn't that interesting in history where some families just seem to have a touch? I mean, this is not a political statement, but in our lifetime, I mean, there's been a family, the Bushes, father and son president, another son could have been president potentially. And isn't it interesting? That's That's the kind of family tree that Paul came from. And then he had the best education. He was Ivy League educated. He was educated by this guy named Gamaliel, the best of the best. 
He knew the law. And yet in Philippians, he says, all that stuff is dung. It's a pile of mess to me that I might know the cross. See, he wasn't saying, I I can't speak in flowery words. In fact, he did that at Mars Hill. We read in the book of Acts, he was quite an orator. We always want to be our best for God's glory. He was simply saying, it's not dependent upon me. Because he knew that, see, the, the Corinthian people, they loved a good speech. It was like entertainment. That's what they, they didn't have movies. They didn't sit in front of the TV all the time. They would go listen to a speech. And usually it was a bunch of nothing. And they walked away feeling good, but they had learned and gained nothing. Paul would write about this later when he was telling Timothy, hey, watch out because people are going to want to tickle your ears. And so sometimes churches today will be filled with those kind of speeches, right? Where nothing's said, there's no truth that's exchanged, but boy, that's your felt good. And Paul's saying, that is not what I'm going to do. Because it's more than a speech. Now, there have been some great speeches. One of the great books I picked up in the recent years is called Speeches That Changed the World. I love this little book. I mean, it's got some, some of the great speeches of all time in it. This is Martin Luther King weekend. One of the best speeches that's ever been written is that dream speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out of the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down and to gather at the table of brotherhood. And, and you know, he goes on and on with that dream. And, and then he says... This is our hope. This is our faith that I'll go back to the South. With this faith, we'll be able to hew out the mountains of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we'll be free one day. Then he goes on, and at the end, you know how he concludes. And when this happens, we'll allow freedom to ring. When we let it ring from every village, every hamlet, from every state and every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black men, white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. What a speech. What, what a, a, a man that impacted history. But let me just tell you something. That great speech didn't change one heart. And what Paul was saying is the power is not in our words. The power comes when the message of the cross transforms an individual life. If speeches like that change lives, the number one topic on our news this week would not have been racism. What we need is the power of the cross to change hearts. So what does this mean for the Christ follower? Well, we have to decide what our faith is resting in. And if we're a Christ follower, we have to decide what we're going to do about it. I love that new song we just sang. 
I jotted down these words as we were singing just a moment ago. As I, as I stand in glory, my crowns before the Lord. This will be my confession. My wealth is in the cross. Nothing more I won't. See, we have to come to a place where we decide, is my faith, is my wealth, is my life resting in the power of the cross? And if it is, as a Christ follower, that comes with responsibility. Remember, as I represent him, I live responsibly for his glory. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and what? Take up his cross and follow me. Some of us today need to look back to the cross so that we can take up our cross and make a difference for his glory. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.